If you have your Bibles, please be opening them to Matthew chapter 11, first book in your New Testament, Matthew chapter 11. We'll be there in just a moment. Uh, it's good to see uh, some folks uh, moving down front a little bit. Uh, reminds me of the story of the preacher who was approached by his elders, and the elders said, hey, we've got this new uh, contraption that we're going to put in the auditorium. We're redesigning the auditorium. We're going to take out all the pews, and we're only going to put a pew on the back row. And then uh, once that back row fills up as it normally does, there's going to be some hydraulics that move that pew all the way down to the front, and then a new back row will pop, pop up, and then so on and so forth. And so the preacher said, wow, that's amazing. I can't wait. And the elder said, well, you ought to see what happens to the stage when you preach too long. So <laughs> preach on. We often, uh, though, have an idea of what we want to see. And as a church, we've been stating for the past several months that we want to see kingdom devoted disciples making disciples of nations and generations. This is more than just some catchy vision statement for us. It's the lifeblood of, of who we are. And so in a few weeks, uh, you'll notice the flags on the stage. Uh, the World Games will be here in our city. You're probably hearing more and more about that. 108 nations will be represented in the games uh, right here in the city of Birmingham. And when I think about the kingdom of God, I think about Revelation 7 that reminds us that, that we live in a, a kingdom that is made up of every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And so when I gather in here today to worship, I don't just think about those that are gathered here in this room, although I love you and I'm so thankful to be gathered in this physical space with you. But I also look over here to the flag that represents Honduras and the brothers and sisters that I've met there. I look up on this higher row and I see the flag of the Philippines and the brothers and sisters that I've met there and in several other places. And I'm reminded that, that God's, in God's economy that, that his kingdom is bigger than anything that we even can imagine in our small little brains. And we serve an amazing God. In this series, we've been exploring the world game-changing reality of Jesus' coming, why he came, uh, the good news of the kingdom that he came to proclaim and how we live into that reality of becoming kingdom devoted disciples. And even though Jesus talked more about the good news of the kingdom than anything else, his followers often had doubts. His followers often had doubts about this kingdom and about the Jesus who was establishing it. So in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 1, if you'll follow along with me. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed 
is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Here we see a major discourse has come to an end. And how do we know that? Well, if you read through the book of Matthew, what you'll, you'll notice is that there's five major discourses of Jesus. And every time they come to an end, Matthew, the author, records it this way. After Jesus had finished saying these things, or in this case, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, we know that a discourse, a major discourse has come to an end. So just like in the Old Testament where we read the five books of Moses, some would suggest that this is a kind of a recapturing of the five discourses of Jesus. And now, as was said on the Mount of Transfiguration, hear ye him. That's my son, God would say. So Jesus goes on teaching and preaching, and meanwhile, John the Baptist is in prison. But we don't know why he's in prison until just a few chapters later in Matthew 14. In Matthew 14, we figure out why Jesus, or why John the Baptist, rather, is in prison. And it, it says it right here, now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. So John is put in prison by Herod because John the Baptist has been calling out Herod for having his brother's wife. He says, it's not lawful for you to do this. And what was true then is true today is that we live in a culture that does not appreciate accountability whatsoever. And so when, when somebody is held accountable, in this case Herod, he is willing to kill to not be held accountable. Are you hearing this? This, this book is not always rated G. He is willing to end John's life, but he, he, he's afraid of the people, so he doesn't end his life. He just puts him in prison. And while John is in prison, Jesus is not playing the part that John expected. I mean, think about it. At the baptism of Jesus, John clearly recognizes Jesus as the Messiah. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He proclaims Jesus as the one, Jesus as the Messiah. And according to John's gospel, that Jesus is the chosen one. And then just a few chapters later, are you the one? Are, are you really the one? Or should we expect somebody else? Somebody here today needs to hear this, and that is that doubt does not have to be your enemy. John the Baptist doubts. Uh, we've heard of doubting Thomas, but have you ever heard of John the doubting Baptist? Have you ever met a doubting Baptist? Here he is, John the doubting Baptist, right here. Are you the one? Or, or should we expect someone else? But here's what I love, that in the midst of John's doubt, He's not afraid to ask. I had somebody ask me this week about 
a little thing that you've seen in the news all week, the Roe versus Wade decision. Somebody asked me, well, what do you think about that? Or, or are you going to talk about that on Sunday? What you don't realize is that there's not really many weeks that go by that I'm not wrestling with God in prayer about how to say something or something that's happened or should I say something or, or should I not say something or, 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 or is this worthy? Every week I'm wrestling with God through that. And what challenges me in the text today, specifically the text that we just read, is John's misunderstanding, John's misconception of the kingdom and how King Jesus should behave. See, John's perception carries over to the disciples in Acts chapter 1 where, where they encounter a resurrected Jesus and they ask the question, Lord, at this time, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? John the Baptist has encountered a pre-resurrection Jesus. His disciples encounter a post-resurrection Jesus, and they both have the same question. Are you the one? Is, is now the time that you're going to step up and, and take over? The perception is, hey, Jesus, there's only one way to do this kingdom thing, and that's through power. And John is asking the same question that those disciples ask on the other side of the resurrection. And Jesus answers John by directing attention to the fruit of his ministry. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The poor have good news brought to them. And in Mark chapter one, Mark refers it to it as the good news of the kingdom. You know what we learn? That the king can keep his promises without meeting all our expectations. And so in the midst of an emotional week, I, I pray that we continue to live the law of Christ, which is love. Paul says, whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one to love one another. So this week I, I went for an early morning workout. I'm sure you can tell. And I was coming uh, through Bluff Park to get back here to the building. And it was early. It was, you know, 6.15, 6.30 in the morning. And I see these signs up in... Bluff Park, people standing on the side of the road, holding these signs saying, free breakfast, free breakfast. And I thought just as a, as a good citizen, I should not rob them of the blessing of giving me breakfast. <laughs> so I passed the parking lot and I, I turned around and I came back and I pulled in and they handed me a bag of breakfast. And the lady who handed me the bag of, of, of breakfast with some breakfast items in there then asked me this question, would you like me to pray for you? And I'm like, I'm a preacher. I should have seen this coming. Like if a church is handing out breakfast, like they're going to ask, you know, hey, can I pray for you? I should have seen this coming. I didn't, I didn't see it coming. But then I'm in this quandary because I'm like, I'm a preacher. I can't say no to prayer. So I said, Absolutely. We'd love for you to pray. How can I pray for you? 
I'm like, they're taking my script. And I said, well, I said, honestly, I ask that question a lot, but I don't get asked that question a lot. So here's how you can pray for me. And it was in the midst of just the busyness of the past few weeks. It's been a full few weeks. I thought, I was telling some people earlier, I thought the summer kind of slows down, but it seems like it's sped up and we got three kids going this way and that way and, and everything's happening. And so, uh, you know, Lenny and I have had, you know, it's just sometimes you feel a little disconnected, you know, through all that. And I just said, I said, pray for God to strengthen my marriage covenant. And this woman started praying, like for real praying. And she got to one part in the prayer and, and she said, Lord, I just pray that you will remind them why they got married in the first place. And I was done. <laughs> I pulled in that parking lot for a biscuit and I got a blessing. And I'm pulling out of that parking lot, coming down the bluff, crying all the way down the bluff. thinking, God, you showed up in a parking lot. We like to put God in a, in a box and say, no, you can only show up here at 930 on Sunday mornings. But, but God showed up for me in a parking lot this past week. The Spirit of God working through the people of God. The gracious way that Jesus responds to John's doubt gives me great pause and great encouragement because Jesus offers blessing rather than curse. Look what he said in verse six, blessed, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, these who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Jesus was, catch this, Jesus was paying John the Baptist this great compliment, but saying that the time for that sort of work had come to an end, that the kingdom of heaven is now breaking in. And look what he says in verse 16. Red letters. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others, we played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. This is like children saying, hey, 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 let's, let's play wedding. You, you be the groom, you be the bride, you be the preacher. Anybody ever do that as a kid? And then one of the kids stepping up and saying, no, I don't want to play. Well, let's play funeral. 
No. I don't want to play. Not like that. Jesus is saying, this generation is annoyed with me because I don't dance when they say dance. I don't ask how high when they say jump. Jesus will not be put in a box. Which brings us to our second point. The kingdom comes on his terms, not ours. So nobody could tame Jesus. Nobody. Not the politicians, not the zealots, not the religious leaders. Nobody could use him. Nobody could manipulate him to get what they wanted. Nobody could shut him up. So those who were in power took him and they lashed him and they whipped him and they pierced him with a sword and they hung him on a cross. Then his body was laid in the tomb. And some doubted. There's this little verse in this little book in the New Testament. It's the book of Jude. It's not a book that gets read very often, but it's unique because it only has one chapter. So it's not like Jude chapter this verse, this. it's just Jude verse. And in Jude verse 22, it says, be merciful to those who doubt. Jesus understands our ifs. In his book, No Doubt, author John Ortberg says, I do not know why tragedy, which destroys faith in some people, gives birth to it in others. Suffering both raises unanswerable questions and tells us that our only hope must be a hope beyond ourselves. There's this really unique story in 1 Samuel chapter 4. Uh, the Israelites have gone into battle with the Philistines for a second time. And it becomes a disaster. They're going into battle and they end up losing seven times as many soldiers as they lost in the first battle. Some 30,000 soldiers that they lose. The priest Eli, you ever heard his name? Both his sons die in the battle. And to top it all off, their secret weapon, the Ark of the Covenant, has been captured. They thought that they had God in a box. And if they just took their God in a box into battle, all would be good, all would be well. And so a man from the tribe of Benjamin runs to Eli, who's 98 years old at this time. And he tells him that his sons have been killed. Imagine receiving that horrible news. But when the priest Eli hears that the Ark of the Covenant had been captured, you know what the text says? He fell out backwards. He fell backwards, broke his neck, and died. How would you like to be doing that eulogy? But the story doesn't really end there because Eli's daughter-in-law gets the news, get this, while she's giving birth. She gets the news that her husband has died. Her father-in-law has died. Her brother-in-law has died. She gets this news while she's giving birth. 
to their child. There's this word in Hebrew, it's the word kabod, and it means glory. It's this beautiful word in Israel. And she names her child, not kabod. She names her child, I kabod, ik abad. And when you put I in front of the word kabod, it becomes a negative. It's kind of like when we put the word or the letter A in front of the word theist. It's no longer one who believes in God. It's one who does not believe in God. It makes it negative. So she names her child Ichabod. There was no God, no meaning, no hope, no glory. Ichabod. It's as if she wanted to warn her son that wishing does not make something so. In the earliest 20th century, a, a homeless man named Cliff Edwards was barely staying alive, but he had one great gift. The gift that Cliff Edwards possessed is that he could use his voice to sing in a three octave range, and he could slide up and down three octaves like it was nothing. Now, those of you who have done a little music know how incredible that can be. And so he started singing at a restaurant where he became known as Ukulele Ike. He went on to become one of the best known Broadway stars of the 1920s. Cliff Edwards got what he hoped for, but it wasn't what he wanted. And he began the long slide down, the spiral down through alcoholism, through gambling, through tax troubles, through bankruptcy and drug addiction. He died forgotten, broke, and on welfare in 1971. But I had a soft spot in my heart for him when I learned that one of his last jobs that he got before his descent was a job in the big movie, Pinocchio. His role was as the voice of Jiminy Cricket in the song he sang, When You Wish Upon a Star. When you wish, upon a star makes no difference who you are anything your heart desires will come to you it's a wonderful song from my childhood but it's not true there's only one kingdom that's real and the goal of life in the kingdom is not a life free from doubt but a life that's free and full because it is full of trust. So three questions that I want us to reflect on this week that as we enter into yet another week that we focus on how can we live out this kingdom, not, not a kingdom that's, that's free from any doubt or free from any questions, but live in to the midst of a kingdom where we are fully trusting. Number one is how can you love your neighbor this week? Sounds like a really simple question. But I'm gonna tack on something to the end of that. How can you love your neighbor this week that you don't agree with? I'm gonna give you five seconds. Get somebody in your mind 
Don't make this just words on a screen. Make, make it real. How can I love my neighbor this week? Question number two is who can you connect with for encouragement? Throughout my entire ministry, it has been paramount for me to, to seek out mentors and people in my life that can speak words of encouragement into my life. And it's different seasons, different folks God supplies for that. Just this past week, uh, God supplied for me once again, uh, Brother Elijah Anthony from the Roosevelt City Church of Christ. And you really aren't fellowshipping unless you're fellowshipping at Nikki's West. Can I get an amen, somebody? Elijah has just continued to speak words of hope and words of truth and words of encouragement into my life. And I've been amazed just a few years ago that I did not know this brother. And we sat, we broke bread, and we provided encouragement and prayerful support for one another. Who is that for you? I'm going to give you five seconds. If you don't have someone in your life that you can seek out encouragement from, pray that God reveal that person to you. And that you be bold enough to invite that person to a time of fellowship. Question number three is where are you finding rest for your soul? Maybe a better question is not where are you finding rest, but who are you finding rest in? Now that you have a little context, I'm going to share a passage with you that you may have heard many times, but now that you have the context of the whole chapter, I want to share with you the close of Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says these words, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm going to ask you to stand as we pray together. And as we close this prayer, we will say the Lord's Prayer together. And so, Father, I come to you, we come to you in Jesus' name this morning because that's the only way that we can. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. No one can come to you except through him. Father, I pray that as we reflect on your word this morning, that we will not just let it be a, a seed that falls to the ground and, and, and withers away, but may it be a seed that's been planted. For some of us, maybe it's replanted deep within us that we will truly meditate on and think about and begin to live out and practice what it means to live the Jesus way, what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. God, I pray for those who are struggling through the loss of a loved one, those who are struggling financially, those who may be concerned about a family member, those who may be concerned about a health issue that is going on right now. God, I pray for your presence. God, I pray that we as a church family will come alongside one another and not be afraid but be bold 
to enter into one another's lives and that this ecclesia, this gathering, this church will be what you've called it to be with Jesus as our cornerstone, Jesus as our guiding post, the one who calls us to come to him who's gentle and humble in heart. And so we pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And all God's people said, amen. If you have a need this morning, there'll be a shepherd down front. Would love to meet with you, pray with you. If you need a more private setting, there'll be a shepherd and spouse back here in this room, the chapel. Today's the day that you want to name Jesus as Lord. Be baptized in him. Come see me. Let's sing.